all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. Welcome to Veterans Radio. I am Jim Fawson. I'm the officer of the deck today. We've got some great programs for you. I think you'll find very interesting. We always want to remind you, you can find more about Veterans Radio at its Facebook site or by going to veteransradio.net where we're on the web 24-7. You can find a lot of our podcasts there as well. We post new ones every Tuesday, so you can get a new story, a new interview, something you didn't know before by going to veteransradio.net. And before we get started, we want to thank our sponsors. First up, we want to thank National Veteran Business Development Council, nvbdc.org. It was established to certify both service-disabled and veteran-owned businesses. You'll find out how they can help your business by going to nvbdc.org. We also want to thank Eisenhower Center. It's a brain injury recovery center. Learn more about eisenhowercenter.com. They're located in Michigan and in Florida. We want to thank Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans fights for veterans' disability rights all across the nation. You can reach them at 800-693-4800 or on the web at legalhelpforveterans.com. Contact us if you'd like to be a sponsor on Veterans Radio, and let's move on to our program. We want to welcome to Veterans Radio today, Kaia Alderson. Kaia, welcome to Veterans Radio. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, we have you on because you are an author of uh, historical fiction, uh, Mm -hmm. and you write on a variety of uh, subjects, including African-American women history, Mm-hmm. And you've recently written a novel called Sister in Arms about the 6th uh Postal Battalion, which I think our veteran radio listeners are going to be very interested in. But mm-hmm. let me set this up a little, Kaia. You are a graduate of Spelman College. You have a master's mm-hmm. from the University of West Georgia. And mm-hmm. write, writing is your profession. Uh, um, did you always want to be a writer? Um, yeah, subconsciously, it took a minute for me to accept that fact, <laughs> intellectually, but yep. <laughs> and, and do you, as I say, you write historical fiction. How mm-hmm. did you gravitate to that particular uh, genre? I have always been a history geek since very young. Um, it started with sitting on my grandparents' neighbor's porch. I must have been like five, and she said something about Pearl Harbor, and I was like, what is that? And that was my introduction to World War II. And then later on, my father um, put some books in my hand because he knew I liked to read, and I was just like, whoa, this all happened? And so it just, as I um, accepted the fact that I was a writer, it just became a natural conclusion. So you had to admit to being both a history geek and a writing geek to get these two to cross. Well, that's great. Well, uh, having recently read Sisters in Arms, uh, I found it really an interesting novel, and it's just chock full of historical things I didn't know about, (laughs) uh, which is why we're having the conversation. But how did you stumble on the story of the 6th Triple Eighth Postal Battalion? 
Um, about eight or nine years ago, I saw a picture of them when they were marching in a parade in Rouen, France, in honor of Joan of Arc. And at that time, I knew there had been a women's army corps during the war. And intellectually, I knew, yes, black women served, but it was the first time I actually saw it. And so from the picture, I could tell it was World War II era that they were somewhere in Europe. And so I basically Googled it and, you know, got a crash course in a 6888 and immediately knew I had to write a flip on the soldier boys last night in town story. So I made um, the soldier girls last night in town story. Well, it's a really, uh, you know, fun read. It's uh, reads really smooth, but interspersed in it is a lot <laughs> of historical facts about both the service of these african-american women the Mm -hmm. discrimination that they faced the hurdles Mm -hmm. anybody would face going into the military but let's Mm -hmm. let's start back all the way up with how unusual this was in the early 1940s at the dawn of world war ii um the the establishment of the women's uh army corps WAC, and Mm -hmm. um a little bit about how that how it became populated and that uh, there was a drive to bring African-American women into the Corps. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. um, And she pops up in the book. It's all because of Mary McLeod Bethune, who um, basically her claim to fame is she is um, the founder of Bethune Cook University down in Florida. And she did that on her own back in the 1920s, I think it was. And then from there, she basically became an advisor to um, about three different presidents, including FDR. And she was um, the head of the Negro division for the um, National Youth Project as part of um, the New Deal. So she, um, when she heard that there was going to be a Women's Army Corps, she understood that um, it was an opportunity for jobs training coming out of the Great Depression. It was a way to make a living. And it was also um, a way to get the benefits after the fact as veterans for educational opportunities. So basically, she was there um, in the room with the advisors from the start. And because of... um, the basic uh, um, racial um, discriminant or segregation policies of the time, they agreed that um, black women should be a part of the core. And as it was in the regular army, um, it reflected a percentage of the black population in the country, which was 10%. So 10% of that very first officer's training class um, was set aside for um, black women, which was 40. And uh, we find in the uh, novel, Sisters in Arms, not only Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, who we've just mm-hmm. talked about, but her relationship with President uh, Roosevelt and First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt is mm-hmm. sort of really important. There are important pivot points in the development mm-hmm. here that uh, uh, tie back to historical facts, I assume? Yes. Um Ooh, let's see where she popped up. She had a hand in recruiting those 40 women. If she didn't handpick them herself, then it was usually somebody that she knew very well who identified women who were of the quote-unquote caliber they were looking for to join the Corps as officers. Because even having a Women's Army Corps back then, you could say, was unusual and controversial. And, and there's a lot of concerns about we don't want our girls out there shooting people or having guns. Um, so you, and we only want, you know, the most reputable and most moral women. So it was very, you know, they had to make sure they got it right. So um, you do see uh, Mary McLeod Bethune pop in very early, identifying um one of my characters as one of those women that um, she wanted to see in the Corps. Um, Later on, when they first arrived at training camp in Fort Des Moines, um, they were immediately segregated um, into their own unit. And 
um, what happened as a result of that is you had a lot of women from all over the country mingling. So you had white women from the South, black women from the South, from the North, East and West. And so it was it was like this experiment almost. Of, this is the first time you have to eat in the same building um, with black women and white women. So someone decided to take it upon themselves to put a um, sign on one of the tables that said colored or um, I think um, it even was a C, which was unnecessary because um the black women who were there were already segregated the way they line up in the mess hall, they would have sat together anyway. So immediately they got on the phone. Um, a lot of these women, um, their families were very influential, were um, of high status. And they got on the phone and they called Mary McLeod Bethune and anyone else they could think of to say, hey, this isn't right. And within a couple of days, Mary McLeod Bethune, as well as Colonel Happy, who was the head of the um, WAC, came and they got it all smoothed out. Well, it's one of those experiments, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you sort of see it occur where they are trying something new. And w- mm-hmm. it, it's even today where the, the first person of this type or that type has to be has mm-hmm. to be successful. Otherwise, the detractors get to say, oh, see, we told you it would never work. You, you, mm-hmm. you couldn't have women rangers or you couldn't have uh, this or that. Um, mm-hmm. And and so the, the the success of these women officers, uh, the first uh, forty or so um, mm-hmm. African American officers in the WAC, was so critical to this experiment. But but and be, I want to talk about one of those women in particular, mm-hmm. uh, Major Charity uh, Adams, Adams. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, who later uh, became Lieutenant Colonel. But before we get there, because mm-hmm. I kind of skipped over this in my excitement. <laughs> the the sixth triple eight postal battalion mm-hmm. was sent to solve a big problem. Uh, yes. um, <clears throat> so set up the problem, if you will, that they had to solve. You know this impossible task again, maybe set up for mm-hmm. failure, but failure mm-hmm. wasn't an option. Uh, no, so that our listeners understand that historical context, if you would, uh, Kaya. Sure. Um, And I apologize if I'm giving you history that um, your listeners already know, but it basically goes back to D-Day in June of 44, where you had the push onto the continent. And as they were having victories and the Germans were pulling back, um, everyone was saying, oh, the war will be over by Christmas. And so um, not as much attention was paid to the mail that was going that was intended for the troops and all the volunteers. Well, come Christmas, as we all know, the um, war was still going on. And at this point, we now have about six months worth of mail piling up in Birmingham, um, England. And um, by the time the 6th AAA got there, it had expanded to basically six airplane hangers, fruitcake and treats and everything like that were riding, um, sorting the mail. And basically, it goes back to um, everybody thought the war would be over in Christmas of 1944 after the big push with um, D-Day. So um, basically, all the mail built up for about six months. And then um, they had this huge problem of six months worth of mail, basically six airplane hangers worth sitting in England. And um, as you know, that winter was like the Battle of the Bulge. It was really tough on those troops. And so morale was low. And um, military brass was like, these guys need to get their mail. They need to get letters from their families, from their sweethearts, something to give them, something to push forward for. Um, In that particular case, they um, assigned the guys who were already there. And they couldn't figure it out. Then they had some wax that were already there. 
they couldn't figure it out. So they were like, okay, we'll give this impossible task to these black women. So they assembled a battalion and sent them over. Um, the first group went over in February of 45 to find this big, huge mess because of security reasons and other reasons. They didn't know what they were going over to do. So very few of them had any training in male operations, if at all. So basically they just showed up, saw this mess and like they just figured it out. So they were given six months to get the mail under control and they were able to get the job done within three. And this is a, you know, if you stop and think about it or see any of the mm-hmm. pictures which you can find uh, on the internet of this, th- this is just piles of bags of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, of mail this mm-hmm. is there's no computers. No. <laughs> there's no electronic sorting here. There's nope. no uh, Excel spreadsheet databases. This is nope. a by you know observation and write it down on a card process mm-hmm. to try to move uh, millions and millions and millions of pieces of mail, not mm-hmm. all of which are even properly addressed. It might just no, say, <laughs> you know, Bobby in France, no last mm-hmm. name, no troop, no nothing. I yep. mean, it was an incredible task mm-hmm. to get rid of this backlog in three months. How did they accomplish it? Again, as I talk about, there's no computers here. <laughs> no computers. Um, basically, think index cards. <laughs> um, for every person that was over in Europe, every soldier, every um, Red Cross volunteer, everybody who was in headquarters had an index card with their name, their serial number, their address back home. And from there on those cards, um, they would have to track troop movements because obviously they were always on the move. Um, they would have to track if somebody had uh, was um, listed as deceased and they had to send it back. There was a special group for that. Um, there was, you know, again, as you said, the um, packages weren't properly addressed. So there was another team that had to go and figure that out. And they basically did it like that. If they had to open up a package to get more clues, they would do that, you know, be as respectful as they could with it, repackage it and send it on its way. It really was an incredible task that these women performed, and they sort of had a motto here, too, didn't they, about uh, uh, Mm -hmm. the impact of their actions. Give us that motto. It's no male, low morale. And any of us who've ever served anywhere, and I was on ship, so we only got Mm -hmm. mail when we came into port, that's Mm -hmm. so true. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you could understand how these men who pushed through D-Day and were working their way through France and hitting the Battle mm-hmm. of Bulge, just without that mail, uh, mm-hmm. it gets lonely. You forget why you're doing it uh, mm-hmm. other than your buddies. So this, this had a high impact on troop morale and mm-hmm. their ability to continue to push forward. As you were researching this book, mm-hmm. one of the one of your folks that you talk about is major charity uh adams adams Mm -hmm. and and you know talk to us about that character but talk to us in in terms of the research that you did to understand how these women were thinking and how they acted through this uh, period of time well fortunately um major charity adams her married name is early um wrote a memoir before she passed in 2002 called one women's one woman's army and it basically traced her experience from um, just prior to the war starting to her joining the Corps, her training, and how she wound up um, commanding that unit that went over to um, 
to England. And so that was very helpful. Um, also, there is a documentary out called The Six Triple Eight, and that actually had footage of her, video footage of her talking. So that was really cool for me because it was the first time I could hear her speak. And that actually helped me a whole lot because hearing her speak, um, actually speak about her own experiences, it reminded me how spunky the women of that generation are and how much fire they had. And even though this was later on in life, I could still see where that fire and that spunk would have benefited them and helped them along the way um, during the war. So that was also helpful. There is a book called um, by Brenda L. Moore called To Serve My Country, To Serve My Race, which is a more academic um, account of what these women did and what their experiences were. And also um, A Mighty Justice by Dovey Johnson Roundtree. She was not a part of the 6th AAA, but she was a part of that first WAC um, officer class. So I was able to get a sense um, she was able to corroborate some things or show some um, different events that Charity had um, or Major Adams had um, talked about and see it from a different perspective. So that helped to kind of make sure I wasn't just too one-sided with my story. And it, it is important that uh, a book with this sort of history in it, which can easily get lost uh, to the dustbins, be readable and be something approachable. You know, not many mm-hmm. folks are going to read an academic book about uh, mm-hmm. a particular unit or division or battalion or this period mm-hmm. of time, unless there may be a, you know, a women's studies scholar or an African-American scholar. So that's mm-hmm. why I think it's important for folks like you to write the way you do and draw regular people in, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, to enjoy that history, learn from that history and, and I think you've done a great job of that. Thank you. And and you have to deal with, there, there are some unpleasant things to deal with mm-hmm. uh, during this historical period as well, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, a lot of people had problems with um, not only women in uniform, but black women in uniform and black women who were officers. Um depending on what part of the country you were, just seeing your uniform and your insignia, people got real offended at the thought that just by custom and habit of being in the military, um, expecting a white man would have to salute you. And some women um, were assaulted and beaten up. Some um, were arrested for not sitting in the right section if there wasn't, you know, a black female officer section in the train station or the bus station. Um, Some other things, um, there's, Um, One account that is actually based on um, Major Adams' um, real-life experience, where she was on the train. Um, There was a woman there who had the MPs called in on her and accused her of being an imposter because there was no way that a Black woman could be an officer. And to that MP's um, credit, he did say, ma'am, I'm not going to arrest her because if she is, in fact, an officer, she's my superior, and I'm not getting in trouble for something like that. So they did have these type of... um, encounters and, and they're not skipped over in sisters mm-hmm. in arms and i think Mm-mm. that's uh, a credit to trying to report this or re- write on this accurately but also mm-hmm. to remind us all sitting here 75 plus years later that uh, hey this is how it was back then traveling mm-hmm. across the country and and the the uh, challenges and discrimination that folks had to face to to be able to uh, in this instance, even ser- serve their country, mm-hmm. um, and, and this uh, the six AAA didn't go through this in France without some tragedy as well. And you you write on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can t- touch on that uh, jeep accident. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, 
if anybody goes to the um, American Cemetery, Cemetery in Normandy, they're going to see that there are four women buried there, and three of them were members of the 6888. And in July of 1945, while they were stationed in Rouen, France, there was a Jeep accident. Um, all three women were part of the um, entertainment corps within the 6888, and I, I have yet to find any um, account of the actual accident, giving the specifics other that they were in a Jeep accident. And if you've seen the Jeeps from that era, you know, if you hit a pothole or a pump in the road and you go flying, you know, there's not much to help you there. But the um, women who were killed were um, Privates First Class Mary Barlow, um, Mary Bankston, and Sergeant Dolores Brown. And what was incredible about that particular um, the um, incident was the women's response because you had so many different women from all different backgrounds. There were women who in the 6 triple eight who had experience with mortuary sciences, so they were able to help prepare the bodies. Um, they were able to secure um, coffins, not the standard pine box you would get in a war situation, where even the German POWs were hand carving the lids and things like that. So they were able to do something extraordinary with limited resources and, you know, not an active war zone anymore. But, you know, despite that tragedy, they were able to pull together, you know, something other than you could say what was standard fare for that time. Well, and, and again, all of this is reported in, uh, if you will, the book, Sisters in mm-hmm. Arms, but mm-hmm. but it's this historical fiction novel that's very readable, very approachable, moves along. You can learn a lot about the 6888 by... Uh, going to YouTube and seeing mm-hmm. some of the videos, the Army's got some uh, good uh, interviews up with uh, mm-hmm. uh, the few surviving members, uh, even from 10 years ago, or more mm-hmm. uh, of the members of the of the battalion. But I wanted to turn and talk a little bit about an attempt to honor the 6888 Postal Battalion uh, mm-hmm. by Congress. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Um, there is a group um, headed by retired Colonel Edna Cummings, Edna Cummings excuse me, um, and they are um, they helped to get a bill into Congress to help award the unit with the Congressional Gold Medal. It has already passed the Senate, and right now it's still sitting in the House. And I think the last time I looked, they were short about 120 sponsors. But basically, it's to give a national, if you will, recognition for what these women did. Because a lot of people are like, when they first look them up, oh, they just sorted the mail. But as we talked about, you know, it's more than that, especially if you've been in that situation. Even if you've never been in the military, if you've been to summer camp, you know how important that letter is um, from home and um, helping to keep the morale up. So, um, and it's also based on the fact that when these women came home in um, 45, early 1946, excuse me, um, they came home to no fanfare, to no nothing. It was just like, you know, they got off the ship, got processed out, and just went back to life where you see um, with other, in other cases, when other troops came home, there was a lot of celebration and things like that. And I think that's part of the reason why this um, the story of this particular unit got lost in history, if you will. So um, it's definitely important um, to give them the recognition. They did um, play a heavy effort in the war, um, in the war effort, but um, at this point, out of the 855 women who served in the unit, I, there's only a handful left. Um, I think we might be down to five surviving veterans because I know we lost um, about two or three this past spring. Well, and the so Congressional nice. con- congressional Gold Medal has been used uh, by Congress before to mm-hmm. recognize 
uh, groups of servicemen and women who have kind of gotten the short end of the recognition stick. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly the uh, Japanese Americans who fought in World War II, Chinese Americans mm-hmm. who fought in World War II, um, Native Americans. So there's a sort of a history of Congress going, you know what, we, we should do more to recognize these folks. And although mm-hmm. usually when this happens, there were... Um, uh, not many of them still surviving, yeah. but it's really, imp- in my view, it's really important for the community uh, from which they come to mm-hmm. have that recognition and, and to be able to kind of hold that up for mm-hmm. the community that uh, maybe wasn't so happy that they went into service, but but is now mm-hmm. very proud of the service that was performed. And I think that's that would be the benefit here, wouldn't you feel? Yes, I would agree with that. Um, before we get to the end here, um, mm-hmm. uh, Kaya, uh, one of the uh, one of the things I guess I'd want to hear from you is: so, what you, do you have another uh, historical fiction book brewing, and and is the is service or the military something that uh, you'll continue to write on, having uh, now enjoyed the success with Sisters in Arms? Well, my next book, um, the working title is called In a League of Her Own, and it's going to be about Effa Manley, who is currently the only woman um, who was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. In the 30s and 40s, she was co-owner of the Newark Eagles, and her role in that was as what we would consider a general manager today. It isn't um, obviously focused on the military, but there will be a piece because – in that period, right before integration, around 45, 46, you do have a lot of her players coming back from the service. Um, Leon Day, who was one of the pitchers for her team, he was actually in Normandy. I don't think he was there on D-Day, but I think he was part of the unit that was um, collecting bodies and burying them and things like that. So it will pop up a little bit in that book. But I do have some a couple other story ideas that touch on um the military, like World War One, the Spanish-American War. So it won't be my last time talking about the military. Well, good, because you've done a really good job here, and we'd like to Thank see you. you do it some more. And we appreciate the time that you've given us today on Veterans Radio to talk about Sisters in Arms. And where can folks find the book if they want to want to uh, pick it up and read it? Um, you can find that book pretty much anywhere you um, see books to be sold. You'll see it in, on Amazon, Target, um, your local um, independent bookstore. If they don't have it in the shelf, they can definitely order it. Um, you can even get it at Hudson Books in the airport, which was kind of exciting. So you just um, do a Google search and you'll be able to get it. Well, it's a William and Morrow uh, imprint of HarperCollins Publishers. They've done a great job with it. I really enjoyed it. At, at the very end of it, you have a nice little uh, section on behind the book talking about all the sort of things that you've read and, and, and mm-hmm. where some of the history came from and some of the other folks that are in it, as well as uh, identifying some of those books that were great source materials for you. So mm-hmm. um, from my viewpoint, that was, uh, an, when I got to the end, that was an added little bonus, so I appreciated that. <laughs> as well (laughs) no problem yeah there was a lot of good ones (laughs) well thanks again for taking time to talk to veterans radio today okay thank you for having me on you have a great day and i want to thank everybody for listening to veterans radio today i am jim fawson it's been a pleasure to be your host i'm a veterans disability lawyer at legal help for veterans and you can reach us at 800-693-4800 or legalhelpforveterans.com on the web 
You can follow Veterans Radio on Facebook and listen to its podcasts and Internet radio shows by going to veteransradio.net. And until next time, you are dismissed. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. We again want to thank our national sponsors, the National Veterans Business Development Council, NVBDC.org, Eisenhower Center, VA Ann Arbor Health Care System, the Vietnam Veterans of America, Charles S. Kettles Chapter, Ann Arbor, Michigan. VFW Graf O'Hara Post 423 in Ann Arbor. And the American Legion Press Corn Post 46, also in Ann Arbor. They keep us on the air, as does your support. Go to Facebook, go to veteransradio.net, and support our efforts. And until next time, you are dismissed. <laughs>